Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I, uh, first service I noted, still true, as a pastor, how do you follow that? <laughs> it just, it's a sermon of its own. But when was the last time you were tempted? Possibly it was to break the fasting you committed to last Wednesday. Possibly you looked at a dessert on the table before the service and bargained within yourself, well, do we start fasting after the service at 7 p.m. or before? I am guessing a good number of us would have come up with after is the best decision. It's dessert and only a matter of hours. Let the fast begin at 7 p.m. or maybe better yet, tomorrow. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness before the deceiver, the slanderer, and the liar of all liars, Satan, came to tempt him. And the first temptation was that of the most basic sustenance, bread. Being fully man, with a belly that burned within him to be satisfied, bread would have no, no doubt been a good thing to have, much more important than another slice of pie, cake, or a cookie following a big meal. His second temptation was that of, being that of being challenged to put God to the test. Tossed yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and prove you are the Son of God, if you are. After all, God's Word says He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Prove it to all that will see and to yourself. Let the masses come to you after witnessing your great accomplishment, showing that God is, in fact, with you. The third temptation, after showing to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, the devil says, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Our temptation to break a fast, even before it starts, in no way compares to the temptation of Jesus. A fast that gains you no standing in the kingdom of God, no merit or benefit. True, it might give you a pious way to exercise your faith if done with prayer and meditation on God's Word, but herein lies the problem. We cannot do that and execute the demands we see in God's law perfectly to gain his favor. We are already full of sin. Jesus was and is without sin and has done what none can do for themselves. The Israelites could not. They, God's people, left Egypt led by the Lord and almost immediately began grumbling in the wilderness, losing faith in God's promise of deliverance. Food became scarce and they did not have faith in God to provide. But he did with manna, and he could have sustained them with none of it, doing so simply by his good pleasure and his desire and word. Remember that their clothes did not wear out in that 40 years, and there's that number 40 again. The 40 years they wondered and grumbled against God and Moses. Secondly, <clears throat> after the miracle of the manna, it was water that they needed. And they grumbled, and they cried out to Moses, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
Moses cried out to God, fearful that the people would stone him. And the Lord led Moses and some of the elders of Israel to the rock at Horeb. And Moses struck the rock as he was commanded by the Lord, and water flowed from it. And Moses named the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The very same question the devil asked of Jesus. Is the Lord with you? Thirdly, from the time God led his people, his children, his sons and daughters out of Egypt, they struggled to remain faithful to their Lord. The worship of the golden calf was the first of their misapplied love toward idols of all kinds. They bowed down to images of created things versus worshiping the creator and keeper of all things. Jesus came to be what they could not be and to do what they could not do. He is the Savior they were promised that would fulfill all righteousness. Where Israel grumbled in the wilderness that their bellies were aching from lack of food, he went into the wilderness for 40 days, surviving on the promise of his and their heavenly Father alone. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is the promise of God to give us grace to live in times of plenty or in times of little or nothing, to live by his promise of life in the midst of death. Jesus came and was tempted to test God, and he did not. He did not succumb to the temptation to answer the question of, if you are the Son of God, with an act of, if, I'll show you, if, I'll show you who I am. No, he didn't choose to leap from the high place, putting his father's words to the test. He was trusting those words all the way to Calvary and the cross that was there waiting for him. He trusted the will of the father to sustain him through death to eternal life. He trusted and knew his father was with him as he did his will. He had no need to test the Lord asking, is the Lord with me or not? His other children had done that. The Israelites in the wilderness at Massa, where their life-giving water flowed. Lastly, he did what Israel failed miserably at all through their history. He would not bow his human body down and worship anyone but the Lord God, his Father in heaven. He had no other gods, where the Israelites, the other children, had many, and we might add, with tragic results. So never mind your temptation related to fasting. How is all the other temptation going as you wander in this wilderness? You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Quite a list. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do to resist all these temptations? Do you like he did when he was tempted, have the right Bible verse on your lips to fight off the devil 
and his temptation. That is not what this text is about. It's about Jesus doing it all for me and for you, not us seeking to justify ourselves by following Jesus' perfect example. Did you catch that? Perfect. Even if we attempted, we would have, it would have to be perfect, and it's too late for that. This text follows directly after Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River and his Father's words from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father testifies to the identity of his Son, and he is pleased because his Son came into creation to do what Israel, the first Son, and we after them, cannot. He came to fulfill all righteousness for us, to give us right standing before God by having no sin in himself and taking our sin upon himself and dying an agonizing and scornful death for our sin and none of his own. He suffered the separation from God that should truly be ours. He suffered it for us. In his baptism, he took all our sins on himself And in our baptism, we receive eternal life from him. It is in that his father, our father, is well pleased. And it is a great miraculous exchange that we have seen take place here this morning with little Noah. We see this candle. It's a paschal candle. Paschal, Pascha, Easter, resurrection, And it burns for baptisms, and it burns for funerals, and it burns for Easter, reminding us of resurrection and eternal life. And that's what Noah received today, his sins taken away and forgiven, and eternal life given. He's given a new identity like we've been given. This identity is what we cling to by faith in Christ. We cling to the mercy of God shown to his children, to me and you. Through his son. For you, he has wandered more wilderness and wasteland than we can imagine. For you, he has suffered more pain than we ever or will have to endure. And now, for you, all baptized into Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and the love the Father has shown to him in his resurrection, proving he is well pleased. When we are tempted, when we are weak, When the devil says, you're hungry, you need this. When the liar says, God will save you, test him and see. When Satan says, I can give you everything you desire, just worship me and my ways and turn from God. Remember, we are baptized. We are God's children with whom he is well pleased because we are clothed with his son's righteousness. Our right standing is that of Jesus and not our own self-righteousness. Our right standing is, 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 based on our having, is not based on our having the right verse. We have Christ who has done that for us. So much more winning for us eternal life. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and who in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is our life in Christ. It is our new identity. 
Praise be to God. Amen.